0: Well, hey, everybody. Hi. Thanks for that response. I felt very validated. Thank you. Uh, So, we're here on the final week of this prophecy series to wrap up and reflect and think on this six week conversation with prophets old and new. And to start that off, Molly's chosen this Langston Hughes poem. Is it not by Langston Hughes? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, son, I'll tell you, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It's had tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up and places with no carpet on the floor bare. But all the time I've been a climbing on and reaching landings and turning around corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you turn back? Don't you sit down on the steps, cause you finds it kind of hard. Don't you fall now? for I's still goin honey, and I's still climbing, and life for me, ain't been no crystal stair. And this from Friedrich. Opinions: Beekner?. Okay. A prophet's quarrel with the world is deep down a lover's quarrel. And if they didn't love the world, they probably wouldn't bother to tell it that it's going to hell. They'd just let it go. And so their quarrel is God's quarrel. So we've been sitting with prophets and their quarrels with us and the world and God's vision for it. And yeah, I hope we've enjoyed it. I guess we'll find out in a minute. We'll ask you if you've enjoyed it. Um, But, yeah, I want to sing before we send our kids off upstairs. Is this the last week of Amos, Rachel? Okay, thanks so much for leading our kids through Amos. Middle school girls, thanks for sitting with Amos and the hard things Amos has to say. And, yeah, let's sing together before we send them off. Open up. Announcements. I know that next week um, is going to be an Ecclesia meeting, and I'm looking around for which member of our lead team might want to give a plug for that. Uh, You're the boss, Marie. <laughs> uh, yes, Ecclesia
1: next Sunday. We um, so have lots to talk about, uh, mostly what the summer going to look like. Um it we're gonna have um, snacks at four thirty, but FAC is going to start at five o'clock um and go to six fifteen. 15 uh, we'll, we'll be out of here uh, by six fifteen. Um, am I missing anything? I think that's it. It's uh four it? kids. <laughs> what are we talking about at FAC? Uh <laughs> <coughs> um, this summer. This summer. Yeah, most part. So um, we have a a very pregnant staff, uh, (laughs) (laughs) and um, babies that are coming at a similar like in a in the spring. um, And so this summer is going to look different than other summers in a way, uh, and and in a way, all summers look different from each other um, and are distinct from the rest of the year. But this one. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about that because people probably have a lot of questions. Like, what does that mean if like two out of three of um, our staff people are off um, doing tiny little lady things? <laughs> um, so, yeah. I believe we're going to have an update about the search. Yeah, this, yeah. yeah this, um, past search updates. Um, Yeah. Those are the that's two safe. big things. So, yeah. so just to
2: underline, come before mm-hmm. five and hang out and have a snack, so that you're here at five and we can start at five. Mm-hmm. We're starting at five. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. gonna <laughs> I promise to make some
0: cookies. Good... All right. Um, so yeah,
3: I would, of course we're gonna talk about giving. The the fiscal year mm-hmm. ends at the end mm-hmm. of May. Um, this you know, like he does every year, and uh, I don't have exact numbers on me, but while we are doing good, there's always an end-of-the-year push to be had to make sure that we cover the entire budget, which the majority of it goes to pay both for our staff and for the other people that involve, involved in running our church, watching our kids, making music. Um, and so if you, uh, you know, are considering uh, giving to Emmaus Way uh, near the end of this fiscal year, we would all really appreciate it. I think that's All I got to say on that
1: people know how to give oh yes oh yes how to give um, there's the
3: brass bowl back there or metal bowl uh, so that's brass uh you can put checks and cash and how you're using it there are um uh, uh there's an address on the website that you can uh send uh checks in the mail to you can give through clover give on the website and i believe there's even some sort of
4: textual giving now that there's i information that, on the back table. Th- there's information on the back table there's uh, information on the back table that's it
2: Via text, textual was a weird word.
0: <laughs> I'm going to commission a work of art that is focused strictly on all the different ways that bowl has been described <laughs> over the course of history. It's a lot. Like, it's just an evolution of description for for a bowl. Anyway.
4: Just say a big deep thanks to all of those from Emmaus Way that came out to um, CAN's action on Friday, holding DHA and our elected city officials accountable. Um, Emmaus Way had the largest um, institution turnout, which what also makes it so remarkable is Emmaus Way is the smallest institution that's a part of CAN. Um, and so it, yeah, so thank you. Um, the DHA CEO, Anthony Scott, actually had a 2 p.m. press conference once he figured out we were gonna be there at 12. Um, in the exact same spot Um, there's much work to be done be on the lookout i really hope that a presidential nominee does not come to durham the next time there's already a scheduled can action but it was a really um, meaningful and powerful day Um, and those that live in mcdougall and huber road are deeply thankful for the work that can is doing so thanks for supporting that
0: Oh, look at that.
5: Today is Becca's birthday.
4: Happy birthday. Suze has an announcement as well. Some
6: of you know that I have done some songwriting classes at the women's prison in Raleigh over the last few years, and we've played some of the songs here, and a question that we often get when we're done playing the songs is how do we hear them? for years, because too many of the songwriters were still incarcerated, the answer was never, it's illegal. But uh, we have a quorum now of women living in Raleigh, living free, and so uh, this year Interfaith Business Ministry for Women so that they would back a Kickstarter if uh, we wanted to put our heads together and produce an album. So, if you would really like to have these songs in your own home and ears, you can visit kickstarter.com, you can type in conviction. And uh, the campaign is in there, but uh, even $15 will help us get to our goal. It's going to be all the songs are going to be sung by the songwriters uh, as far as we can with folks who we know where they are. And uh, these women have taken a strong, strong control over the project. So I'm really excited to see what happens. So Kickstarter, Conviction, uh, I hope that she will join us. We can send that
7: out through the social Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, a lot of folks here know Mike Bergoni, who has played uh, a number of instruments, uh, steel guitar, all um, and who is also a PhD student at Duke, I've been fortunate enough to have in a couple classes, um, is going to be on the state of things tomorrow at noon. Uh, and they're, they're interviewing him both about his research, which is on um, Christian communities and gun violence. Um, and as well as his life story, which, is, which kind of translates between Pentecostalism and Catholicism. In so you can check that out on WQNZ and, and likely uh, through their podcast and streaming afterwards if you don't hear about it.
0: Yeah, I, I'll double that plug. Mike's, Mike's work is fascinating, and I think his story... Yeah, and the way it intersects is really fascinating too. He has his most of his field work has been with white evangelical men, who carry guns as part of a sense of Christian duty to protect their congregations and folks they love. And so, and Mike has done a lot of participant, you know, like bought a gun and carried a gun as part of that field work. And so, yeah, there's some really fascinating stuff that he's had to think through as he's done that. So. Uh, anybody else? It's been a verdant announcement Sunday.
3: I mean, the songs were doing lots of
0: announcements. <coughs> I really, uh,
3: I told Molly then that uh, if anyone does have a spare of uh my, my dad was in a really bad accident this weekend. He uh, had a, a, two of his um, vertebrae crushed by a limb that fell off. And so he's in the hospital and all his limbs work, but still he's going to have a really long healing process. And um, he already, he's already has a degenerative disease in the spine, so it could change, right? Things could get worse. So um, anyway, if you have any spirit thoughts for you, I appreciate that. Yeah,
0: thanks, Clinton. So and him from his... exactly, <laughs> okay. exactly. A man who has shared prophetic words in this very space with us. Uh, and so let's turn a prayer together. Uh, crafted this community prayer from the New Zealand Book of Prayer, I suppose, it's adapted. And this is a complicated one a little bit. We have two different responsive sections I'll draw your attention to. The first one is praying for raising up names of prophets or prophetic witnesses and invite you to think upon those and speak those shortly or more elaborately into the space and after each of those we'll say, Lord, hear our prayer. And then the second section um, allows, yeah, to name people maybe on the other side, folks that we hope would be more open to words of challenge and words of prophecy. And we hope to have you raise some of those as well and we'll respond after each of those. So let us pray. God, You call us all to work for peace and justice. Wherever we are, we can find opportunities to stand with people and identify with their needs and hopes. We can no longer be silent. Where there is need, there is a task for us. When we speak out against injustice and for your kingdom, give us courage and the right words to say. We pray this night. For the prophets in our Durham community and beyond, we pray for.
4: The residents of McDougal Terrace.
2: Social workers who know families in need and advocate for them on a small scale.
0: Folks who speak hard things in the communities like this and wherever they find themselves. Folks who are willing to dig deep and speak honestly when it is hard. Lord hear our prayer. Shane Clinton. Lord hear our prayer. We also pray God, you open the ears of the prophet's audience so that the words of challenge, even if hurtful or difficult, will be acted upon. We pray that these voices will not dismiss, but hear and be softened by the prophetic witness. We pray particularly for...
4: Anthony Scott. Lord, your prayer.
3: institutions, the people who make part of immigration system. Lord, hear our prayer.
2: We ourselves, Lord, hear our prayer.
3: family and friends whose relationships have been fractured in recent
2: years. our
0: Loving God. You know that prophetic witness by its very nature can leave behind bitterness and anxiety in the heart of the listener and in the prophet too, who can feel so alone. Surround those who speak out and those who are indicted with the warmth of your love and peace within to work toward more equitable ways of being in beloved community together. And all God's people said, you know. amen. So Suze has gathered a familiar group back together. She can tell you the saga of this, this particular treat. No, we don't have to. Thanks, Charles, for being here. Filling in the trio. All good excuses
6: for the change in personnel.
8: Flowers gone long time passing Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago Where have all the flowers gone? Where have all the The graveyards gone? Covered with flowers, everyone. When will we ever learn? Oh, when will we ever learn? Where have all the flowers gone? In restless dreams I walked alone. Narrow streets of cobblestone. Neat the halo of a street. Lamp, I turned my car. Naked light, I saw 10,000 people, maybe more. People talking without speaking, people hearing without listening, people writing shows that voices never share, and no one dare disturb the sun. I do.
4: much Suze and John and Charles. Um, We're gonna pass the piece efficiently and quickly. Um, Yes, we're gonna pass a piece of Christ to one another. There is no more gluten-free funfetti cake. Another, uh, your pastor had a craving. She didn't need it all in her house. She brought it to church. Moved from cheese puffs to gluten-free funfetti cake. Um, Who knows what might show up before the end of April. Um, But there is water and coffee. Coffee now has been successfully made, if you would like it. Pass the peace of Christ to one another, and we'll come back in just a minute or two so we have time to have a robust dialogue and wrap up our series on the prophets. Peace of Christ be with you. All right. If you would find your way back toward the middle. Wasn't kidding about a brief passing of the piece. So over the last five weeks, um, we have looked at how prophets of old and new critique and energize, how they grieve and hope offering more life-giving God, affirming alternative futures for we, the people, both then and now, Um, alternative futures that perhaps seem unrealistic yet deeply hopeful given what is unfolding before our very eyes. We've seen how the prophets have done this and continue to do this through sign acts, which we looked at early on, visions and dreams, as people who are willing to risk to call out the very things that are damaging and harming us, offering another way. We've seen it through poets and artists who can't be reduced to formula. These prophets continually invite and call out and indict even when no one necessarily listens, offering us a way to worship, to live, to see neighbor, to see one another, and even oneself more as God invites us to. Last week, through circle practice, we shared about how and why sometimes we might listen and respond to a prophet or why we may not what it is that makes it more challenging or perhaps more hopeful to fully lean in. But as we end this series, we wanted to end on what does it look like to not only hear or respond to the prophets all around us? But what does it look like, (laughs) what do scriptures say, what do old and new prophets tell us about how we embody this prophetic witness ourselves, individually, but more importantly, collectively as community? How do we embody calling into different, calling into being different alternative futures In a world, at times, it seems so depressing, but continue the work of coming alongside the prophets in our midst to engage in public proclamation. Public proclamation, which scholar Marvin McMickle says, comes with an urgency that cannot be contained and a fervor that cannot be controlled the ridicule, rebuke, and outright rejection that you will probably experience if you prophetically proclaim is a given, but it's one that you should take seriously and be about throughout your entire life. So tonight, for us, how, how do we, Emmaus <laughs> Way, Live and be and embody what it means to be a prophetic community. How do we perhaps sometimes proclaim public witness outward? How do we see and hear the prophets in our midst, even when no one else is, and join in, even if we might be a little uncomfortable? How do we take this from merely being a series and a season but truly an alternative future and way of being together so tonight we're going to look at the prophet isaiah which perhaps you all maybe read verses one through eight more closely than the entire thing but i think isaiah is going to give us some wisdom and inspiration of what this might mean for us now and just sort of as a heads up by the time we're getting to this point in isaiah A few things to note. Isaiah, all three parts, right? First Isaiah, second Isaiah, third Isaiah. None of it should necessarily be understood to be chronological, um, but more of a painting of a picture to sort of present the realities at play in that given time. And so by the time we get to chapter six in Isaiah and this prophet's ministry, Judeans, have forgotten and forsaken the Lord. Their worship is futile according to Isaiah. Corruption marks the leadership of those in power in the kingdoms. Greed has led to deep injustice. And where we begin is so we're given a political crisis. The long-serving king who brought some stability has died. And in into all of that in this very moment that Isaiah receives what many call his vision or call story of prophecy. So would someone read Isaiah 6 for us?
2: In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, High and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me. go and say this to say to this people keep listening but do not comprehend keep looking but do not understand make the mind of this people dull and stop their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed then I said how long Lord, and he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate, until the Lord sends everyone far away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remained in it, it would be burned again, like a terrament or an oak whose stump remains standing in its bell
4: the holy seed. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. So while we could spend a good amount of time looking at the first part of this text, wonder what John of Patmos was reading when he wrote Revelation, uh, calling back to our second series. I'm really curious tonight to get y'all's thoughts on what you think this text is specifically saying about Isaiah's Really, call for public proclamation. What sticks out to you about this encounter between Isaiah and God and what public proclamation might entail? The first thing is sadness. Sadness? sadness. What was yeah. Kind of feeling like he's not even the person for the job, right? I have unclean lips, deep mm-hmm. sadness. What else? Is God telling Isaiah this is going to go well? No. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> so, like, what are some specific things that, like, he's basically saying, she, he, God is saying, hey, I want you to go do this thing and be faithful in it, but this is what's about to happen. So what's about to happen?
3: I don't know if this is what you're looking for, Molly, but when, I, when we read this, it echoed so strongly of... Uh, and the people who who warn of the what climate change is going to do like mm-hmm. the earth will be destroyed and everyone's like, noob uh right like
5: yeah but it's like, not this wanting to hear so or see mm-hmm.
2: yeah
4: there's not necessarily going to be positive response to what is being spoken mm-hmm. or belief that it is true
3: well in the outcome of cities lying desolate it was like Wow, this is freaking
4: yeah. I mm-hmm. also find it fascinating, right, that Isaiah's words, there, there can even be a dullness that comes. Yet he's told to still proclaim.
7: Molly, I'm not sure I understand it. Like, so is he saying, is he? When God says, go and say this to the people, keep listening, do not comment. it's like, I can read that a couple different ways, and I do not know what's right, like, is he saying that God, he wants um, Isaiah to pray that the people will have their minds dulled so that this destruction will happen, or is he saying, like, Depends basically, on they're they're stubborn, right? say my you kids keep doing that, and you're going to see what happens if you
2: keep doing that. You
4: know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a valid question. And it really does depend on um, what scholar you're reading or how you interpret the text. And so I think that there is a camp that a lot of um, rabbis when reading this text think that it is God basically preparing Isaiah, that being a prophet, and being about prophetic proclamation isn't necessarily going to be pretty. And more of it is like a preparation that people are not going to hear and that their ears won't be, yeah, right, their ears won't be able to hear, their eyes will be shut. That's one reading, kind of as a preparation. And that then, right, destruction may come, will come, according to this text, and that all will be left is a seed, a holy seed that is a stone. There's another side of it that says Isaiah's, right, what Isaiah is to proclaim is basically you have so turned against God that you will no longer be able to hear, you will no longer be able to see X, Y, and Z, right? Neither are necessarily good, like, church growth plans, right? Or, like, positive, like, just. It's going to be okay, folks, right? Um, And so does that help answer your question? And so I think why I picked this text, why I thought it would be interesting is, one, because churches, most churches stop this at verse 8, right? Here I am, send me. (laughs) Like the lectionary, that's where the lectionary stops. That's where it's really comfortable. Of course, God calls us, we go. But the fuller narrative is the call of prophetic witness and prophetic proclamation um, can be really silencing and challenging, and yet that is the work, it seems, um, to perhaps preach and speak a hard word What else is sticking out for others about this text or what it says about prophetic proclamation, about what Isaiah is being told to go and do and be about? How might that intersect with us? Clinton got at that a bit with the climate change.
5: One of the things that we mentioned last week was the place of humility mm-hmm. in prophecy, that it's easier to hear a prophet who displays some humility and isn't just stuffing things down people's throats. Yeah. And um, this sort of um, reticent agreement mm-hmm. to, to be a prophet displays that. And. You know, we see it, it's kind of a genre that you, know, you see with Moses too and, and mm-hmm. others who say, okay, I'll do it.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, yeah. But to me, it speaks of that, that necessary place of humility. Yeah, a humility.
4: I love how Walter Brueggemann Promise after tonight, I'm going to take a break from Walter Brueggemann. You now he's come up a lot in this series. Um, but when talking about this text, Um, and really the invitation for the hearer, for the reader, for us in this text, is that it's an invitation by God that really what, in Brueggemann's mind, what God is saying is I'm calling you out there to keep speaking and prophesying, to penetrate the numbness and to penetrate the despair that has so taken over a people. And I think that that work of having to be about like penetrating numbness and penetrating despair and continuing that day after day after day how could you be about that work and not be humble right like what a it's a huge it's a huge ask to daily um, try to break open a people that they feel like they know it all or have it all or well and a humble
5: person in part doesn't expect so much that people will listen. A, a wealthy, powerful person expects that they will be heard.
4: Yeah. That's true. And what does right and what humility as well to like be about this work and going into it knowing at the end all that God promises is a holy seed that will be his stump. And that that promise, though, right, is one of God, God's goodness and love and this holy seed and somehow breaking forth new life and overcoming the principalities and powers. But it's not a big, shiny... Isaiah's not going to be, right? The prophets aren't going to be high and lifted up for that work. Thanks for that, Jim. What are others? What do you think are is on offer for us as a reader of this text, thinking about Isaiah, thinking about present day. Or we can pivot. And who would you say, or what? Our present day prophets, and prophetic witnesses who kind of have a call like Isaiah to keep about this work even when it's pretty dismal, even when people may not hear or see or comprehend. But the daily are getting out there, penetrating numbness, penetrating despair, offering alternative futures, even if it's uncomfortable. Any present-day prophets or prophetic witnesses that you think of?
1: I think keeping with what comes to think of Greta, Mm -hmm. and that humility aspect too, she's so young, it's kind of, I mean, it feels very humbling to have a
4: 16-year-old, coming at your attention and say something so profound. For sure.
1: Mark Charles, he's a Native American man running an independent campaign for president right now, and he has long been a historian telling truth about American, particularly just how Christian theology has fueled American colonialism. And um, yeah, for people who have endured the history like he has um, to continually be telling that truth and that history back to mm-hmm. the people who would rather erase it. <laughs> yes. Others.
6: Of social services is a manufacturing scarcity. Yeah. It's primarily because of our colonial aspirations in this country and the funding of the military. That, that budget continues to grow. Uh, and so, like, I, I think there's lots of the good things to say, but that in particular is something that most people, it's not even part of the national conversation, you know? <laughs> we talk about the social battles. But I think it's like, it's just crazy how like, in the power analysis, the military is like, often overlooked.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not afraid to speak out against, I think, one of the largest idols in our country, right? For sure. mm -hmm. I see a lot of uh, stirring and movement, um, sort of
3: Christians I follow online um, of women standing up in much more conservative denominations. The yeah. one I grew up in, in the SBC, um, there's a lot of women who are starting to stand up and say, hey, there needs to be a better place for this. You know? yeah. And uh, while I don't want to be a part of SBC, like I really support
4: Yeah. I have mad respect for Beth Moore. For you? I don't Sorry. know if you all follow that Twitter. It's yeah. I, I mean. I, I, I follow Beth more on Twitter, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? But yeah, I mean, calling out the patriarch, like, yeah, systemic patriarchy within the Southern Baptist Convention, and again, and again, and again, yeah. I think of the Me Too movement. And what I find so fascinating is that the Me Too movement started in 2006 by a woman named Tarana. Tarana Burke, who's a civil rights activist to come alongside the most vulnerable women who, have, have been and were um, sexually harassed and sexually abused, 2006, for 11 years she was speaking out against, right? Speaking out against this, believe the women, sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual abuse is real. Believe them, stand with them, keep moving, right? Wasn't until 2017 when a celebrity texted about the Me Too movement, that it technically, right, some might say, took off and became a social media phenomenon. But I think about Tarana, how for over a decade, she continually penetrated the numbness and the despair, calling the evil for what it was. And if it weren't for her, I think, right, speaking when people weren't wanting to hear or weren't wanting to see, and engaging in public proclamation again and again and again, how much further women might be and actually being believed when someone comes and says that they've been abused or harassed, and goodness knows that women still aren't actually believed that but we're a bit further along than we were before. I think of these people who just, what you all said, right? They're just, they're, they're showing up and speaking truth, right? Wherever they find themselves, out of their story, out of their narrative, out of those they encounter, they keep showing up and speaking truth in humble ways, not knowing, trusting, that God's alternative future will come to be, but not knowing that they will necessarily see it.
0: Well, I want to add
4: to that, because you said something I want to shine a light on. You talked about this woman
5: who was speaking about Me Too and unheard for 10 or 11 years, and then a celebrity said something Mm -hmm. and it became well-known. And I, I think there's a good number of prophets who their voices are never heard. Yeah. But they, they somehow have the privilege or the opportunity to speak a word into the ear of the person
2: who will be heard.
4: Hmm. Yeah, that is true. And, right, and what does it mean to recognize your power or someone's someone else's power and social capital and speak that word? But also, what does it mean to start that journey not knowing if that moment will ever come?
1: There's another prophet that I'm reluctant to name because I don't really like him, but that's Mitt Romney. And how he was the only Republican to say this is wrong. And you know, if our country survives, the (laughs) Republicans who voted to not remove Trump they can't say, "Well, everybody else was doing it."
4: Mm-hmm. He's taken that excuse away from them. Right, yeah. and that he voted no out of his faith. Mm-hmm.
7: Right. Yeah. Molly, uh, I know you're moving. You're trying to move on. To no, <laughs> you're
2: fine. We could,
4: could really, really end here. Like, I just kind of want there to be some reflection on, like, how do we engage this? Right? Where do we begin? But.
2: Well,
7: uh, just to throw out an example that resonates with Isaiah and then Jim's point, um, I, I, a colleague of mine has been working on a new translation of the Arabic writings of a ibn Sayyid. who had 15 writings while he was enslaved in Bladen County. Um, and he was a scholar from Senegal that was enslaved in his studies and had trained in Sufi uh, Islam and in sort of wider culture. and. Anyway, one of the fascinating things that he's finding, in, as they're tracing the citations, which have never been really documented, is that a number of them are, are like ninth-century Sufi poems from poems from uh, Andalusia and mm-hmm. other places, and almost all of them have to do with hypocrisy mm-hmm. and judgment. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one is about an old man with a long gray beard, but who has a black heart mm-hmm. that no one can see. And so, they're, anyway, they're they're thinking through what this might have meant um, in terms of his relationship with his enslaver, who he praised publicly all the time. But, um, but the, the thing that, that occurs to me as we're talking about this is in Jim's point is you know he's writing in Arabic and, and knows of course that like, no one can read what he's writing, and and we were trying to imagine, or I was asking my colleague what was his imagined audience. And, and my colleague was saying, no one. I mean, mm-hmm. he could, how could he have imagined yeah. that anyone would be able to one day read mm-hmm. his work? Um, he said it would be hubris to think that he imagined us, you know, Maybe. 100 years yeah. later, being able to go back and find these citations. And, and um, I don't know, that just has really stuck with me because, you know, and yet he, he still had the desire to voice his to condition yeah. and to speak and to speak prophetically yeah. against um, what he was enduring and what he saw around him, um, even though he knew there was no human audience, like yeah. immediate or future human audience.
4: Yeah. That's humility, right? Yeah. Yeah. It really. Um, how Walter Brueggemann ends his book, The Prophetic Imagination. Again, if you haven't read it, you should. The one thing he talks about is he's doing this personal really reflection and says that he thinks that why a lot of people, why a lot of right like well-meaning, smart, predominantly white folk in the American church don't engage in prophetic proclamation is one we actually don't think that God's alternative future is better than the kings and kingdoms of our day. But the second is that we believe that it's all about the arrival. Who's going to hear us? Who is our audience, right? Who, why, why would we speak, right? Who are we speaking for? And Brueggemann says that that often is a struggle of his and why for so, like, he's like, I don't always wanna do this, right? If I don't know who my audience is going to be, if I don't know that God's alternative future really is going to unfold. But he goes on to say, it's not really about where we arrive. It's about the gift that we have been given to speak our truth, to speak the truth of God, to stand with those who are speaking their truth and no one else is listening, even if nothing ever changes. But it is that practice of receiving that gift to speak and to write and to be prophetic in the places that we are terrified and to be prophetic, even when we aren't totally sure we 100% believe That the kingdom is going to break forth in the here and now. That that is the gift we are given. It's our invitation to wait for the moment when we are called to speak. To watch, to pray, he says. And then to act, to proclaim, and to live the prophetic life. Even if the only folks that are hearing it might be people around your dining room table. I think for me, thinking about Greta or all these prophets that were named and hearing Brandon talk about this man, right, who is writing his truth knowing no one, no one may ever, right, be able to comprehend or know. that that really is, the work really I think maybe does start with simply a seed and simply showing up and receiving the gift, the gift of the kingdom, the gift of an alternative future. And I don't know, but like maybe not for y'all, but the future as it is unfolding in what the world and what the principalities and kingdoms are saying, how it's going to unfold feels way too terrifying for me, for us to at least not receive this gift, this invitation to speak even if no one's going to hear us, to stand for truth and justice even if we get scoffed at to keep showing up, even on the days we aren't totally sure if it's gonna get us anything, because that's not really the point. But anyway, that's all I've got about this prophet series. Thanks for hanging in. I do hope that we won't be afraid to lift up other voices, be prophets if it's called upon us. And think together as a community, where are the places in this city, in this state, that we want to collectively show up and start proclaiming? And maybe one of those, I was thinking, would be on February 27th at the Religious Coalition for Nonviolent Durham's vigil that names and holds space. For all, are we at 42 people that were lost in 41 for the 41 people that were lost in 2019? And to tell our city official, our elected officials, that we believe that every life matters, it's more than simply policy, and to tell those families that their loved one did not die in vain. So maybe that's where we start Thursday, the 27th. But Suze and company, come play some Confession Absolution.
6: Our confession today tries to get at that personal, social disagreement that we so often feel in trying to discern uh, what the truth is and what to do about it if we come upon it. (laughs)
8: I know so many people who think they can do it alone. They isolate their heads and stay in their safety zones. Now what come on like a peaceful but inside they're so uptight they trip through the day and waste all their thoughts at night now how can I come on and tell
6: In the song that I wanted to do every week of this whole series.
0: Thanks, Suze, for six weeks with us. Um, it's good to have friends who are willing to come back. <clears throat> oh, I forgot a thing. i am got to go get my thing. Because I've been thinking week after week, doing the table invite more often than not. What's prophetic about this table? And then I was listening to this podcast, and I heard someone sum it up so well. It was Angel Kyoto Williams, who's a Buddhist person and an activist person, and she was talking about her understanding of love at this stage in her work, and she said it this way, love is space, or developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be as they are. To come from a place of love is to be an acceptance of what is, even in the face of moving it towards something that is more whole and more just and more spacious for all of us. It's bigness, it's allowance, it's flexibility. And I'm not sure I've ever heard this table described any better than that. Week after week, it is inviting us into a lover's quarrel with God's world. A world that is filled to the brim with God's glory and filled to the brim with people and peoples of unclean lips and dulled minds and stopped ears and shut eyes. And we are being invited to this table that does not assume that all of these things are not true. In fact, it seems to assume that all of those things are true. And it says, here is bigness, here is allowance, here is flexibility to be as we are and to be more than we are. Here's space within my glory-filled world. If you can claim it, space within you to allow others to be not as you would have them to be, but as they are, to love enough and to accept enough those parts of you and others, even in the face of shaping us towards something more whole and spacious and just for every one of us. It's saying here is a vision and a wisdom and a creator that has promised us no crystal stairs, no easy audiences, but bids us in spite and again and again into a spacious table that will always allow and accept, but will not let us stay there. A love that will not let any one of us or any other we could gather here with us go. And says, there is something I am calling you to, there is something to call others to in which there is space for all of those things and all of those people and all of that hearing and not hearing and understanding and not understanding and that is what I call you to every single week and every single day and every single moment that you would open yourself to it and it's in light of all that that what more prophetic thing is there than that that we break bread for each other and pour wine and juice for each other saying a God has broken God's body for you and a God has shed God's blood for you that there might be more space for you and for us and for all of us here in the space between us together. And so at the end of these six weeks and at the end of every week and at the beginning of every week, however you think about your Sundays, I invite you to this table where you are most welcome and there has always been space enough for you. Welcome to the table.